Greetings from Estonia. My name is Vahur Gobin and I am the country team leader of Josai Venture team here in Estonia. And a little bit about our country. Uh, we were being occupied by the Soviet Union and the, by the communism for, for many years. And after the fall of communism, there was a whole new generation in Estonia that were being taught to ignore the church and avoid it and its message. I often think about King Josiah, the ruler of Judah. His country was full of uh, false worship, full of idols. And actually this has been even generations before him. Even his grandfather, even his dad, the kings of Judah were wicked in the eyes of the Lord. So he grew up in a pretty desperate uh, kingdom. But even though becoming king at a very young age, he chose to follow God. He chose to restore the restored the reading of the God's Word. He took down the high altars and false worship. And this is something what we want to see in Estonia as well. Young men and women just like King Josiah uh, restoring uh, the authority of God's Word, restoring the brokenness and restoring the worship of one true God. Why Estonia? Estonia is actually one of the most secular countries in the world and despite the success, despite the growth, people are hungry, people are spiritually hungry and the desire for something more. And we believe that God is on his mission and he wants to do something through the local churches and we want to be part of that. to invite you to be part of it if you love the Lord and young people then I'm asking you to be part and join us for this upcoming summer trip to Estonia thank you so much for your prayers and your partnership with us Good morning. It's an honor to be going into Christmas season, the season of Advent with you. Advent is where we are looking forward to the birth of the Christ child, the one who takes away our sins as far as the east is from the west. And the best part of that news of all is that we don't have to perform to please God. Why? Because a little baby who was born at Christmas 2,000 years ago took care of that business for us. Isn't that amazing? That's why when we celebrate the season of Advent together at Trinity, it's a big deal. We like to remember all the things that God has done in our life, and we like to reflect all those things by going out into the world and sharing what God has given us with people who need Him. So what we're doing over the month of December through the season of Advent is we're talking about some church-wide ministry partners all over the world that we're partnering with at Trinity. This week we're talking particularly about a special ministry that is worldwide called Josiah Venture. We'll get into the particulars of how they serve uh, the people of Estonia in just a couple of minutes as we dive in and explore how God is using us to spread the joy of Christ all over the world, especially here at Christmas time. Um, you know, as we open up this second week of Advent, we are focusing on the theme of peace. 
And I have to share with you, um, as has been said uh, earlier, this idea of peace, this shalom, is kind of like uh, different from the absence of conflict. It's different from just not having any conflict in your life or not having any trouble in your life. The shalom peace of God is sort of like an entity. It's something to be created uh, and, and something to be preserved in your household. Uh, for example, in my house, we always talk about uh, the peace of the household. And when the kids are arguing and fighting, especially at Christmas time, we tell them that they should stop because they're disrupting the peace of the household. Well, in this last week, we decided to renovate Maddie's room. So we took all of her stuff in her room and put it in the hallway and started uh, uh, just stripping stuff out and painting and reorganizing and kind of spiffing up her furniture a little bit. Is spiffing a word? I don't know if it really is, but we'll go ahead and go with it. But anyway, we started spiffing up her stuff. And as we did that, we completely disrupted the piece of the household. Though we're looking to the end of the project and seeing how a nice fresh bedroom will perhaps inspire her to keep her room a little cleaner. I don't know. Maybe that's just crazy us, right? But in this season of peace, we're remembering the people of Estonia. Now, where is Estonia? You can see from the map there that Estonia is uh, sort of a northern European country. It's tucked, nestled in between sort of Russia, Latvia, and Finland. And what's interesting about Estonia is that it is a, um, it is a country that has been subject to warfare uh, for so many years. Estonia has been around for like eight or 9,000 years, the Estonian people have, and they have been conquered by one people or another for generations and generations. In fact, I think the statistic was that Estonia is only seen about 80 years of independence in the thousands of years it's been in existence. Some foreign government, one or another, has wanted Estonia for generations and generations. In fact, if you look up Estonia and kind of look at the way that's worked out, you can see that at one point of time, Estonia was sought after by the Germans, the Danes, the Swedes, and the Slavs, and then finally the Russians. And what you're going to find in a nutshell about the history of this little country that just is tucked in the middle of all these big countries, what you're going to find is the major struggles have been between the Germans and the Russians. Germans and Russians. Germans during World War I and then being defeated and then abdicating their rule over Estonia. Then the, then the Russians come in, and then the Germans in World War II, and then the Russians come in and clean up after that. But what's happened to Estonia is that with all this changing of the government and all this being conquered and reconquered and reconquered, is you're finding that the socialist governments have put religion out. So religion, especially Christianity, has been forced out of the nation of Estonia, where you've got this generation gap, where you find that there are some older generations, folks that are beyond their retirement years, who remember what it's like to have religion in their lives. And then you've got this resurgence of young people in the church. And then you've got this huge gap, like from age 20 to age 60 plus, of people that just have no relationship with God, no connection with the church whatsoever. And that literally has just come from their history of having religion worked against, having the faith of God worked against. And so what's happened in the history of Estonia is that they've not been able to conquer many of these countries that have come to conquer them and to take over and to establish rule 
in their borders. In fact, the only real way that they've been able to set any kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, change in their country or revolution, I wanted to say, was to sing. In fact, uh, back in the days of Gorbachev and, and President Reagan, and President Reagan calling out to uh, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev over there in Russia, you know, take down uh, the wall, the, Ber the Berlin Wall, and then the, you see the wall fall. You know, this was the late 80s, right? It was in that time when communism began in Russia to loosen up its rules a little bit and began to establish a season of, uh, of, of free speech. I don't know if you remember this, if you've been around long enough. Uh, the word was uh, glasnost. Uh, the idea of Russians in a socialist setting being able to exercise free speech for the first time. And so what you see at the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s in this little sought-after country in Estonia is that people began to speak out. And the way they did that was by singing nationalist songs about the way Estonia would be if it were free. And in fact, not only were they traditional nationalist songs, but rock bands started writing songs about being free. And then people started to gather in large groups and sing. Because they couldn't fight the Russians or the Germans or whoever it was politically or militarily, they would get together en masse and they would sing about freedom. Can you imagine that? And then after some time, Russia looked at Estonia and said, you know what? These people want their freedom. There's no strategic way we should hold them anymore, so we're going to let them go. So in 1991, Estonia became free. It became independent. A beautiful nation nestled there in northern Europe became free. But then what happened in the aftermath of that is really striking. Less than 1% of their population follows Jesus. And yet there is this resurgence, this new group of young people, teenagers and 20-somethings, that are rising up in church leadership in Estonia and beginning to preach the good news of Jesus <clears throat> to a spiritual void in that nation. Now, some would say the United States is becoming that way. It's not nearly as exaggerated for us in the United States. We still have tons of freedom, both culturally and politically here in the United States, which we are grateful for, right? In Estonia, they're starting to have some of those freedoms, but there's a huge spiritual void. This is a void that our ministry partner, Josiah Venture, has taken on uh, pretty seriously. What they do is they establish these camps for kids. So they come in and they work with the youth in the name of Josiah, um, who Josiah was an Old Testament, an ancient Israel king, who became king of Israel in a time when the kings of Israel didn't worship God and didn't want him around. He became king at age eight, and by age 16, he began to strip away all of the other idols that Israel had fallen into worshiping out of Israel. And then by age 26, he had discovered a scroll in the temple. The scroll was the word of God. And he started having that word of God read at the temple every day so the people could get to know God. So in the spirit of Josiah, with God's Holy Spirit behind them, Josiah Venture has a vision to capture the youth in Estonia, teach them the word of God, by engaging them through music camps, language camps, and sports camps, and then by turning them loose back into the local culture to raise up a new generation of Christ followers and perhaps connect with people who have been out of the church for an entire generation just based on the way things have gone politically there. It's not so different from the story of Isaiah. Isaiah, 
who was in existence and in his ministry about a hundred years before young King Josiah, had a mission to go to ancient Israel who had begun to pursue other foreign gods. The same other foreign gods that had high places built to them and worship spots built to them that King Josiah would come in a generation later and strip out of Israel. Isaiah was tasked with taking the word of God to the people of Israel and in doing so, he had some bad news for the kings of Israel and for the people of Israel. But what we take is a traditional Christmas scripture. And you're going to see that as you read the screen and as you hear me read it, you're going to hear the familiarity of this prophecy, which we believe is fulfilled ultimately in the person of Jesus. But I want to share with you this morning in the spirit of Josiah, in the spirit of what Josiah Venture is accomplishing, the way in which God brings about his good news. Now, what was happening back at the time of Isaiah is that the kingdom of Israel had been split into two pieces, the northern kingdom of Israel proper and then the southern kingdom of Judah. And what was happening was is the northern kingdom of Israel had allied itself with Syria and had gotten together and decided it was going to conquer its brother kingdom of Judah to the south. The reason being is that there were threats all, of, all around them politically and militarily. Sounds like Estonia, right? It's the same kind of idea. Uh, Israel was being attacked from the outside by one kingdom and another. If it wasn't the Assyrians, it was going to be the Babylonians. It was going to be somebody who was going to take them over and take their lands and take all the goods and the gold out of the temple and use it for excuse me, pagan reasons. And so what happened was, You've got Isaiah coming to the people and telling them, kingdom of Judah, we know that you've got enemies up to the north. We know you've got uh, the kingdom of Israel and Syria that's banding together to try to conquer you. But we've got good news for you, God and I, Isaiah says. Isaiah is commanded by God to take his firstborn child. Again, we have a theme of children emerging here. Isaiah is commanded to take his firstborn child whose name is Shear Jashub. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Shear Jashub. Shear Jashub is named that because his name means a remnant shall return. God's looking into the future, knowing that all of Israel is about to be conquered, knowing that there's going to be a small group of people who are going to return to rebuild the temple. The kings of that day had no idea this was happening. But what I want you to see is that God is using these kids in a very strategic way. What's happening is Isaiah says to the king of Judah that even though you're under threat of being conquered militarily from the outside, if you will trust in God, if you will but trust in God and not trust in going to your own enemies for your salvation, but trust in God to come and save you in your moment of need, God will respond. Here's what is said in this prophecy. Isaiah 7:13 says, Then Isaiah said, Hear now. You house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And what Isaiah is saying is this, the king of Judah, king, don't go to your enemies for help. Trust in God. See, this is you and me. When we get in trouble, we go to stuff that would tear us down and would remove our hearts from God and lead us after stuff that's not God in order to save us from our troubled times. Don't we do this? We are tempted to go after the things that would destroy us. 
our very enemies, to put our faith and our trust in them. And when we do that, when we test those waters, put ourselves in the hands of our enemies, what do they do? They tear us apart. And then we come back to God repentant. We're like, what happened to me? God's like, you went to your enemies instead of me. It's the same story. It's been happening for thousands of years. But the good news is this. Look at what follows, right? says this, will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to do it. And then he's going to come back and tell you that he did it. His credibility is going to rise and he's going to become more trustworthy. If you will trust him, right? He will give you a sign. The virgin, or in this case, young woman, will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. Now, we believe that Isaiah had a second child named Emmanuel. So what's being said here is this. Uh, king Ahaz, king of Judah. If you will trust in God, then by the time your second kid comes along, you will be saved from the Syrians and uh, the Israelites who are attacking you from the north. If you will trust in God, then by the time your second kid comes along, you'll be saved. So there's a physical sign. And of course, you know, Emmanuel comes along. Isaiah has this child, right? But did King Ahaz listen to God? No. So what happened is uh, Isaiah goes back again and says, by the time I have my third child, this is what's going to happen instead. Because King Ahaz, you didn't listen and you allied yourself um, with the Assyrians to battle uh, the Israelites and their, uh, their uh, allies, uh, the Syrians, went, since you went outside of your faith and went to your enemy, this is what's going to happen next. By the time my third child comes, you're going to see destruction come on your household. Now check out the name of the third child. I'm going to do my best. I grew up in Tennessee, so I'm going to hack this to pieces. And you guys are going to be so patient, right? Maher Shalal Hash, excuse me, Maher. Maher Shalal Hash Baz. Say that with me. One, two, three. Maher Shalal Hash Baz. We're going to, one more time. Ready? Maher Shalal Hash Baz. Yeah, okay, cool. His name means spoil quickly, plunder speedily. The idea of conquering your enemy thoroughly. But what was going to happen to King Ahaz in Judah? Because he didn't listen to God. He put his faith in his enemies. What happened? That kingdom later on, though it was saved from an Assyrian onslaught at that time. Later on, it was conquered by the Babylonians and completely destroyed. You see the parallels with us? You know, it's pretty pointedly there. But what we understand about this scripture is that God was speaking through the children in Isaiah's life. Their names were particularly political. They had meaning. And as those children were born... Uh, those signs that had been given to the kings of Isaiah or of uh, Israel, excuse me, and Judah, those signs that had been given to those kings came true. The prophecies happened. God speaks something and tells you it's going to happen. Then it happens, and then He comes around behind it and says, "Look what I told you." God is trustworthy and true. And so there's another prophecy, another scripture we like to preach at Christmas time. This is Isaiah nine. You'll also note this one. You'll also find this one is familiar. This prophecy doesn't have to do with any of the children of Isaiah. This has to do with the children or the child of God. Let me read it. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, not on the shoulders of the militarily strong. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace. Even when you're under siege, even when people are going to try to tear you down, even when the circumstances and the choices you've made are going to try to tear you up from the inside out, you have a Prince of Peace who will rule over you by ruling under you to hold you, to lift you up, to keep you secure and safe, to give you shalom. You will have that Prince of Peace of the greatness of His government and His peace, not a military peace, not a social peace, a government peace, of His peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Whose justice and righteousness? His, not yours. You don't have to be the just one, the righteous one. Because His justice and His righteousness are everlasting and everlasting. From that time on and forever, the Bible says, and this is what I love about this prophecy the most. I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else today. It is not you who will accomplish this. It, was, it is not you who will establish the peace in your life. It is not you who will fix your addictions. It is not who you, who, who will fix your finances. It is not who, you who will get the best job in the world. It is not you who will perform religiously. The Bible says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God's power. And when He does it through Jesus, He pours it out on you and me. He never holds back. He accomplishes it. He does it. He makes it right. He heals you. He forgives you. He sees you a new creation. He builds you up again from the heart out. And it is not you that has to do that, my friend. It is not you. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And that's what I love so much about the Christmas story. For to us a child is born, a son is given. And you know what? That son is God with us, isn't he? That son is the true Emmanuel. Where Isaiah's second child, that kid had no idea what his namesake was, did he? The child of God who brings peace. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Do you have that peace in your life? This is that moment where the preacher asks you a question. Do you have that peace in your life? You know what I love about the Christmas season so much? Is that it's like Estonia in a way. It becomes this godless melee, this search for the right gift. It's this pressure from the media to go out and Buy a nice car and put a big bow on it and give it to your wife or husband. How many of those commercials are on TV? It's like, oh my goodness, how many people actually give their spouse a car at Christmas time? If it were me, it'd be one of those little Hot Wheels cars with a bow on it, right? Who actually does that? But in this time when there's a melee, there's this rush 
to buy everything and get the best thing on sale and give it to the ones you love, to try to demonstrate to them how much you love them. Think about the idea of peace, being countercultural. I was sharing with a couple of the, the ladies here this morning that over the years, our penchant for Christmas light planning has really decreased. We bought this little, like, uh, plastic fiberglass nativity that fits together like puzzle pieces. And I was so proud of myself. Yesterday, I got that out, and I put it in the front yard, and then I got, like, a little floodlight, and I put it on it, and I turned it on, and I was like, done. (laughs) So you go by our house in Naperville now, it's the only light. But I love that. I love being countercultural at Christmas time. The way Jesus is. And I love how Estonia is this fertile ground for the good news of Jesus, not unlike the way our culture is set up for us. You know, there's this artificial peace in Estonia, just like there is in the United States of America. It's something that we try to make. We try to create it politically, financially, socially, relationally. We try to set our little kingdoms up by conquering our little pieces of territory and land. And then we find that just like uh, King Ahaz, it starts to fall apart. And when there's no peace in it, the best news of all, what I love so much, is how God works and how he creates that peace. He gets us together like this, as Christians all over the world are doing, still meeting together and following Jesus the Prince of Peace. You know, if he was called by no other name, that name would do it for me. What about you? Do you need that peace? If you're a follower of Jesus, my friend, it is there for you. Let it come through. Turn those enemies, say no to those enemies, those things that would make you too busy, that would take away your peace, that would cause you to choose against God and take away your peace. Say no to them. Push them away. Resist them. And hear from God the peace He has for you in Jesus. God would say this at Christmas time. Be still. Know that I am God. Don't fret or worry, the Scripture says. I love this translation from the message. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, switch it out. Switch it. When God wants you to change a habit, He doesn't say just don't do this. He says take that away and replace it with this instead. Look at this. He says don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, do what? Pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Look at this. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. What do you call that? That's peace. That's the definition. That's what that means. It's wonderful what happens, the Bible says, when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Think about that. Do you worry? Are you anxious? Do you have stuff in here that's bound up because of the season that we're in, because of the godless nature of the season that we're in? Resist it and embrace the peace of God, which passes all understanding. It is there for you in so much 
abundance. Stop the world. Let it come in. Let your worries be displaced, just like they were for this little family that was politically incorrect. You got people here who weren't married. You've got a young girl who shouldn't have been pregnant. You got them giving birth in a stable where they shouldn't have been. They should have been in the hospital, right? They weren't. They were in a stable. There's a little baby that was in the same place where the animals eat their breakfast. They shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have been in a nice cradle. But he wasn't. He broke into the dirtiest, scummiest part of humanity and brought peace. And we believe the light of that star shone on him in the same way it does now. To bring joy and to bring peace to a world that has yet to discover him. You know what? Maybe this Christmas season, God's peace will come to someone through you. Let me say that again. Maybe this Christmas season, God's peace will come to somebody through you. Because that's why you and I are here. Is to be instruments of His peace. Like the scripture says. Would you pray with me and ask for that to be true? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this season. Thank you for the baby Jesus being born. Thank you for the little ones and the energy they bring. And thank you for the season in which we have the opportunity to be your peace to someone who needs you. Thank you for establishing a baseline of peace, one that we never lose. But in following you and in trusting in you, we have. Create that shalom in us. Place it in our homes and let it be a way that people who are at war inside and out may find refuge and solace especially in this Christmas season, but at all times as well. We love you. We worship you. We thank you. Come and bring that peace and let it be as you intended in abundance. In your name we pray and together we say, amen.